This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, a podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. I'm your host, Eric Jones. In this episode, I sit down with Cambodia and U.S. foreign relations expert, Dr. Matt Yagel, as we do a deep dive into his groundbreaking research on Cambodian nationalist Son Nok Tan and a shallower plunge into the world of Southeast Asian leaders. Welcome to another episode of Southeast Asia Crossroads. I'm your host, Eric Jones. With me is Dr. Matthew Yeagle. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for having me. Matt was a student here at Northern Illinois University, uh, finished a dissertation here, and is now uh, teaching at St. Xavier University nearby Chicago. And uh, that's uh, how long have you been there? You've been there for a year? Um, yeah, yeah, a little over a year. And uh, Matt came in to uh, talk to us about, among other things, his uh, most recent article in the Pacific Historical Review, which is Revisiting U.S. Policy in Sihanouk's Cambodia, Sonok Tan, and the Dapchun Affair. Um, but also, uh, on Matt's urging, we have a brand new segment, uh, which is Beers of Southeast Asia. Uh, so Correct. so uh, Matt's going to do the unveiling here. He's, he's, he's curated... Uh, a collection of, of several? Well, I brought what I could find into Kelp. <laughs> right. So, you know, so, somewhat limited uh, selection. Okay. But uh, we we do have three wonderful beers um, mm. from Southeast Asia, sort of, for you to uh, listen to us sample. So so through the podcast, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll sample as we go. And um, let's see, let's see uh, what's behind door number one, Matt. Door number one? Uh, would you like a uh, drum, drum roll, a d- description? Uh, yeah. Here, I'll give us a drum roll here. So table. our first beer we're going to be sampling is, if you are Southeast Asia expert, you are probably familiar with a Tiger. <laughs> tiger. <laughs> Coming from uh, Singapore, and I know my first venture to Southeast Asia to Malaysia, this was... Um, and that was your first beer you'd ever had. I had one during that trip, yes, and it was a tiger. And should we should we see how that sounds, Matt? On yes. Yeah. All right. I'm. Uh... Oh. Sound of success. That's good. Matt is uh, doing the same. Ah, nice. So, uh, so, 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 take us back in. Take us back in time. What uh, there you were, hot and sweaty in Malaysia, and what has Tiger done for you? What had Tiger? What? Wow. Um, boy, uh, it got me into a little bit of trouble a uh, couple times, but you were there to help, and yeah. uh, so uh, you know, I was my younger, uh, more adventurous self, I guess we could say. And, you know, Tiger, um, I mean, I guess, I guess, uh, you know, you unveiled this first. I can't tell if it's more the nostalgia that seems like it, that it, it makes it taste better or if it's, um, you know, because, because if I'm, if I were blindfolded, it'd be interesting to see what, uh, what I said about Tiger. What, what are your uh, thoughts about this beer? My thoughts about this beer are... Fairly universal for these kind of quasi-macro brew, you know, Southeast Asia things. Uh, 
they're so all it's a, so sort it's a bud it's an Asian Budweiser right it's kind of your Asian Budweiser um, and it lager it beer is sort of tastes somewhat similar to that um, and I think part of being in Southeast Asia doing whatever you're doing um, obviously it's warm and a nice cold tiger always hits the spot are you getting paid by tiger just I'm getting paid by well these <laughs> For all I know, these are all owned by the same company, so I don't. I but uh, no, no, no sponsorship deals yet. No sponsorship deals. If maybe I had for one, the podcast, maybe we get. Uh, hey, Tiger, if you're listening, we will entertain all offers. Right, that could even be cases of Tiger if you wanted. <laughs> right, uh, we'll just tit for tat. So yeah, no. Um, it's it's got it's got. I mean, it's it's light, smooth. It doesn't have mm-hmm. like a. Um, doesn't have no. There's no really bitter aftertaste. It's no, very easy. Goes down very easy, um, and yeah, enjoyable. Having flashbacks right now as we speak. So, so Matt, I'm reading here. Tiger, since 1932, a bold lager, born in the heart of Asia. Right, and as everyone knows, Singapore is the heart of Asia. So, well, Malaysia is truly Asia, as everybody knows. Right. Um. Yeah, I'm not sure if. The Heart of Asia is on Singapore's uh, kind of tourist promotion thing, but maybe it should be. Um, another reason uh, probably Tiger is one of the more familiar ones is that it, it's around, um, you know, Cambodia, Thailand, Malaysia. Um, it's not kind of uh, just known within one country. So, Yeah, it's it's probably the widest spread it seems as far as I know, because other countries have their which, which I'm I'm curious to see. Maybe there are other, but there maybe. are other examples, but that have their kind of, you know, your Bintongs, your San Miguel's, that are mm-hmm. your Encore, that are like that are that that seem to be almost not impossible, but but hard to find outside of that particular country. Right, beer Lao, they all there's yeah. a bunch, sure, but Tiger is kind of around. All right, so uh, with the influence of Tiger. Um, Contains actual tiger. Maybe we don't know. Um, tell us, um, tell us a bit about Sun Noctan. Um, who is this guy, and um, what's his role in U.S. Cambodian history? Sure. So this is something that I. I guess I was probably a master's student still when I started initial initially looking at him and it started just um out of curiosity reading other people's works david chandler uh kent Clymer, my uh advisor here at northern um and others he's he's mentioned in passing um some detail um you know in some places david chandler goes into uh, and has an article about kind of his role um, during the Japanese period, but you get a lot of kind of hints that he's always sort of this figure that is around kind of in the periphery, but, um, you know, there's not a lot of depth written about him. And that kind of sparked my interest and also kind of all these hints at his connections with U.S. intelligence. Um, and so Sun Yuk-tan is um, actually born in, um, coach in China at the time and 1908 and um, 
he, you know, goes to school, and um, uh, so it is. You can assume a Vietnamese speaking household. Uh, he he's half half Khmer, half um, half Vietnamese, and or half Sino Vietnamese, and so he is. He goes to school and he studies in France, and um, you know, eventually works his way and begins working in Phnom Penh, and kind of there he is sort of over time becomes kind of attracted to um, uh, through the Buddhist Institute which uh, Suzanne Carpella is um, kind of so I guess for our listener this, this is this is this is in French Indochina it's mm-hmm. governed as an administrative um, you know it's it, it's it protectorate lo- lo- technically yeah. looser borders than mm-hmm. than the modern day nation states so um it's uh, there. There's a there's a there's a similar trajectory of intellectuals in that colonial period going mm-hmm. to going to going to France from Cambodia or or Vietnam or Laos. Right, right. right. It's sort of a familiar story with you know other people um, from the era um, in yeah Vietnam, uh, Cambodia, Laos. So yeah, it's through this kind of Buddhist institute. It kind of becomes this sort of nationalism school in some ways, um, and he is sort of at the front of it, and he starts a newspaper um, called Nagaravata, which is, over time, becomes kind of more nationalistic in tone and anti-French, and so, you know, by, by this time, it's kind of, the, you know, the mid-30s, late-30s, and once war starts and Japan enters the picture, he um, is in 42, 1942, there's kind of this... And Ben Kiernan, um, in his, um, what was it, Peasants' Politics in, in Cambodia, I'm, the name, I'm probably screwing up the name, um, has a chapter on this in more depth, but kind of the Umbrella Revolution. And, um, right, it's kind of pushing against kind of return of France or, uh, or I guess, continued French occupation. And... Sun Yuk Tan um, is instrumental in kind of organizing this ma- massive po- protest by Buddhist monks. Uh, and let me ask, what is the where is he on the French radar? They must are the, they're they are <laughs> worried, um, unhappy. They are worried, um, and this is one of the reasons he f- kind of flees after this um, Umbrella Revolution, um, and he f- flees with Japanese assistance to. Uh, Thailand, Bangkok, and then from there to Japan. And, you know, it's one of the interesting things that, the you know, the United States during the war had broken the Japanese code. Uh, and looking at kind of these broken codes, at one point they talk about, the, the Japanese talk about Sun Yuk-tan kind of coming into hmm. to Tokyo and um, keep it a secret. Like, don't let anyone know about this. Um, I think the actual quote in the is don't you know beware the newspapers um you know don't don't let the newspapers find out um so he he's he's one of the nationalists that the Japanese like to court to to maybe think about in a future greater east asian co prosperity sphere they're going they're going to insert him and he's going to help i think to a degree he's an actually you know he's not represent he does not come to the the conference that they have um where they have you know right presumed um, future leaders from throughout the region. He's not there. Um, I'm not exactly sure why. Um, and it's also what he's actually doing in Japan at this time 
it's not 100% clear. He um, becomes a part of the trains with the military, and he's living under an assumed identity, Burmese identity, when he's there. But kind of, you know, his day-to-day life, we don't have a lot on that. Um, but he comes back in May of 45, and, you know, we're getting toward the end here, um, and becomes defense minister, and um, through that role, he's kind of supposed to be kind of instrumental in or keeping the relationship between Cambodia and Japan kind of alive, and he's kind of the go-to man for that. Becomes prime minister soon after, um, until he is overthrown um, in October of 45. So events are unfolding super fast in in 1945. Right. There's a lot going on and a lot going on quickly. Um, correct. So in the summer, summer 45, the, 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 obviously the, the bombs are dropped. The, the war is unraveling fast and, um, you know, you've got, uh, um, I just read, uh, today actually the, the transcript from, um, um, Archimedes Patty, the major who's in the OSS, mm-hmm. who who met Meeks Ho on the China uh, uh, border, right. Vietnam border, and then he's he's you know the, the, there's that famous like you know that power is laying on the streets like waiting for somebody to pick up, and he's you know there at this moment um, when it's when it's ready to be seized, and it's the 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 pace of of change I think surprises. Everyone in um, in Southeast Asia, but uh, it looks like Sonoktan is on the tip of the spear and um, quickly moving up, and then quickly <laughs> quickly coming undone. Uh, so, so what happens after he's uh, he's deposed? Well, he is um, basically under house arrest in France uh, for uh, until f- 1952. And um, spoiler alert: France does not give independence to all of its uh, Asia territories. Uh, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, correct. Um, and I, you know, I believe it's at with Sihanouk's urging. Uh, he he's kind of comes back, and there is this massive gathering. You know, hundreds of thousands of people that are kind of welcoming him back because you know he's kind of this figurehead this sort of father of kind of modern nationalism and kind of anti-french thought um as where as where Sihanouk might have held a more represented tradition Sonoktan represents a future modern looking yeah to uh, some degree Sihanouk I think played it a little more maybe pragmatically and kind of um and this is one of the things I talk about in my dissertation is um that Sun Yuk Tan is kind of pushing hard edge uh, at this. And, you know, he comes back and there's maybe some thought, maybe he'll join the government. Um, but one of the conditions for him coming back is he's not allowed to kind of engage in this outwardly, you know, political political stuff. And he, of course, does immediately do that <laughs> and starts another newspaper, and uh, which is advocating for, you know, French dismissal. And so... Very soon he flee, flees into the jungle um, and kind of, he's, I think, hoping for kind of this kind of mass group to kind of follow him in. Um, but, and he gets, he does have followers that come, but it's not, you know, kind of this massive push. He, he's, do you think he's expecting a, a groundswell of, of, of popular and even peasant kind of sentiment, or does he 
uh, who does who does he think his constituency is? That's you know, with Sun Yuk Tan, a lot of it is. It's hard to know. There, you know, one of the reasons I think he has not been written about a lot is because, you know, the sources are kind of difficult with him. Um, so it's hard to know his exact mindset, and you know, there's still other sources I'm still kind of going through. As I'm, do you mean that even his own sort? He's there's he's, there's positioning going on. It's tough to know what he's actually. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there is some stuff. There are internal documents. Um, so this, you know, this group he's kind of forming around this time is the uh, Kamai Yesarak, and he is. There are you know documents relating to the kind of internal workings of that group that exist. Um, but he is. So yeah, getting back to what I, one of my arguments is, it is kind of his kind of hardline stance, which kind of pushes Sihanouk to head in that direction, and he he want he needs to co-op that that revolutionary edge if he's going to he does lo- if he's not going to lose the mo- lose the momentum to he does yeah. and and Sihanouk, um you know hates him a lot. Um, so he is, uh, he is, yeah, I, you know, his bet noir, if you will, um, for, you know, 30 years, 40 years. Um, and so, yeah, Sihanouk is, yeah, attempting to move into, I guess, this political space that Sun Yuk-tan has carved out that is popular politically, maybe not popular enough to get, um, you know, a band following him into the jungle, but... Um, it's popular enough to get Sihanouk to realize that this is going to be the winning position. And Sihanouk, um, you know, not to dismiss, I guess, I, I, Sihanouk's um, own thoughts about independence, because I don't think he was content forever being kind of this sort of French, living under French rule. But um, I, I think when he started moving to more of a hard line, and then he kind of goes on this, uh, you know, kind of tour... Uh, of the countryside and kind of advocating for um, independence, um, and it succeeds. You know, in 1953. So, um, so it's, I guess it's a it's a counterfactual argument. If if Sonaktan is not there to push Sihanouk in taking the um, more hardline position, that eventually is successful mm-hmm. in getting Cambodia its independence as opposed to say Vietnam, would would it would he have got? Well, what would you? Well, would they you probably put your money on? they probably would have gotten it. Uh, the Geneva Convention in May, anyway, in '54, when uh, to settle the uh, Vietnam First Vietnam War uh, dispute, but you know he was ahead of the curve by eight months or so. So he could, <laughs> he could he could look like he was uh, he had the foresight, uh, right? And you know I think yeah I I don't know it's I I think Sihanouk had there's a degree of probably genuine intention on his part, but Sihanouk also is kind of this master politician and he's also kind of this you know a narcissist to the nth degree and always concerned about image and things like that and um so yeah there i think he is pushed that's kind of what i argue um to in much more depth and hopefully more coherently in my uh, dissertation but okay i'm gonna give a little drum roll here Whoa, what do we have? I think I recognize these stubby little bottles. That's right. This next sampling 
comes from the Philippines. Ah, which could mean only one thing. San Miguel. San Miguel, right. And this is one, uh, my first trip to the Philippines was 2006, doing some research there. And yeah, San Miguel uh, helped get me through a lot of those days in the National Library. Um, <laughs> most of you are probably aware, if you've done research there, they don't really have air-conditioned archives. So <laughs> yeah. Um, San Miguel, and here, here's your... Uh, yeah, let's see, let's see how that, uh, how does your San Miguel sound there? All right, here we are. Oh, yeah. A little steam comes out of there. San Miguel. A truly satisfying beer with a refined, well-balanced flavor. Perfected and brewed following over a century of tradition. A brewing excellence. That's right. They learned that from Spanish, I guess. Brewing excellence. I, I don't know. It's got uh, it's got it's got, a, it's got a little sweetness in it. Maybe it's got um, it's a it's a it's a heartier um, well it's a, it's a it's a pilsen right pilsner. So, it, I mean as as advertised, um, so maybe that's the. Uh, that's the flavor I'm tasting. Yeah, it's it seems to have a little more, um, I guess, a, a bottom end. If you maybe if that's a good way to describe it, um, it's a little bit not heavy beer by any means, but it is um, right. It, it definitely, it, but but it feels it feels like compared to Tiger, right? Yeah, Tiger's very kind of light and uh, smooth and very much your, I guess, uh, I guess prototypical summer beer, if you will. And uh, San Miguel maybe fits in. Uh, it, it can fit in that category, but it also is not bad on a. Yeah, it feels like a fall. It feels fall like a day, fall, right? Uh, like those, like those, uh, those cold days in in Manila. You know, those chill. chill I remember those <laughs> chilly weather. Yeah, we got below ninety once. I was yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's go back to let's go back to Son Yuktan. The story of uh, Son Yuktan. So so he's 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 in the jungle. He's, uh, um, uh, they get their independence, uh, Cambodia does. Um, so bring us into, um, the, the, the United States. Um, so sure. where do they enter this picture? Sure. Well, the United States role in this is, has a lot to do with the Eisenhower administration, and the Eisenhower's kind of version of what containment means, and um, as opposed to Truman, where it is, you know, like literally like containing communism from spreading from one place to another. Um, Eisenhower looks at it more with a more of a focus on, and it's interesting because Eisenhower, right, the former general, um, he he values, um, I guess, intelligence and special operations things like that, he sees them as being effective and cheaper. So if you'll notice around the world during the Eisenhower administration, <laughs> there's a lot of things going on. 
You have your your Guatemalas, your Irans. Right. Uh, yeah. And I guess this kind of gets at my uh, article, forthcoming article in the Pacific Historical Review. Uh, Cambodia's interesting case, the Dop Chuan affair, and I won't get all into the too into the nitty gritty of all of this, but Dop Chuan is kind of this um, provincial um, governor in Siem Reap, and he kind of views himself as being more important maybe than he is, um, but he has a lot of control in the area, and Sihanouk's aware of this, not happy with him. Um, and so Dop Chuan uh, and Sun Yuk Tan, among others, kind of get together and are sort of planning this coup to overthrow Sihanouk. And this is kind of taking place in 1958, 59. And Sihanouk gets wind of this and smashes it before it gets off the ground. Um, Dop Chuan is kind of killed under mysterious circumstances. Um, he's caught. Uh, but... Among, uh, among other things that are caught with Dop Chuan are um, radios from the CIA, you know, big cachet of gold from South Vietnam, who was also in on the uh, coup, uh, a lot of other stuff. And so this is Sihanouk, something Sihanouk is alleging. The United States is involved, the United States is involved, the United States... But it is, seems like he has a smoking bit of a smoking gun. He does. Um, he... He does. There's a radio operator attached to the CIA, Victor Matsui, who um, right is caught as well. And they are right. The United States is, of course, denying any involvement. And if you go through kind of the cables and you know the correspondence, you know, at State Department, Embassy, the Embassy is, and State Department, a lot of the State Department are kind of aware that. Some elements of the U.S. government are kind of playing footsie with Sun Yuk Tan, the South Vietnamese government, and the Thai government, who all want to overthrow Sihanouk. And they are kind of out of their minds about this stuff. Very bad idea. Um, you know, you're going to drive Sihanouk away. Sihanouk, of course, at this time is forming this sort of... Well, not to say there seems to be a universal... Uh, some of Clymer's books talk about as well, you know, that the, there's the... The, the, the embassies are often livid that, you know, they they have, um, they're trying to forge relationships and these things are happening, um, obviously, uh, in many ways, completely um, in spite of and 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 uh, unknown to them. Is that is that is that an overstatement? It's not an overstatement and not even unknown to them, unknown to presidents, because um, President Kennedy, who follows Eisenhower, um and this is, uh, you can actually go to the Miller Center website, and they have, Miller Center kind of tracks these presidential tape recordings. Um, so it's an interesting kind of hole to get sucked down if you are kind of a nerd into that sort of thing, like I am. <laughs> but they have a tape, Roger Hillsman and John F. Kennedy, Roger Hillsman. Um, National Security Advisor. I uh, think. Uh advising, talking to Kennedy about... This, is, of course, takes place after the fact. So this is 1963, and I believe it's November 20th, so it'd be two days before Kennedy's assassinated. Wow. Um, Kennedy's asking, why does Sihanouk keep 
talking about this Dapchuan thing and, you know, accusing us of, you know, being involved in this coup and <laughs> I don't I don't get it and what what is he even talking about? So it seems about? like Kennedy actually it says no. Right. And um, why does he keep talking about, why does uh, Sino keep talking about the Khmer Sarai, which is this group Sunyaktam forms in, you know, 58, 59, which is basically kind of the next version of the Khmer Sarak, which... Um, you know, it's his sort of group of followers, uh, kind of armed followers, that uh, is sort of supported by the Thai government and the South Vietnamese government at the same time. And also, um, interestingly, uh, nationalist China, Taiwan, um, all this is going on at the same time. So anyways, Kennedy's asking about this. Why is, I, why is Sina keep talking about this? And Hilsman says, well, you know, we were kind of playing footsie with <laughs> the Khmer Sarai and... 50, 58, 59, you know, during the Eisenhower administration, you know, and Kennedy says, well, what about this coup talk? Is that true? Were we involved? And, you know, referring to the Dop Chuan Fair, and Hillsman says, yes, we were. And so I have this... So right there. Yeah. yeah. So it's right there. Um, had it had anyone noticed that before? That Well, I, I found the transcripts from this um, at the Kennedy Library in Boston, the transcripts from this meeting... And I was all excited because it has the stuff about playing footsie with the Khmer Sarai and things like that. But the stuff about the coup was redacted. But the tape ah, has it. Nice. So the tape has it. So you can... Um, so people who, are, people who are looking at the archive said, well, we don't know. It's redacted. But then you listen to the right. tape. So I was, I was excited to find the document, and that was... Yeah, probably, um, you know, six years ago now or something when I found that document. Uh, but the tape uh, kind of stumbled across it um, a couple of years ago. And so, yeah, it's uh, right. It is basically proof admitting it uh, that it, the United States was involved. And and uh, and Sihanouk had been kind of accused of... of uh, Making this all up, right? He'd been, he'd been that, that, that oh, they're just, uh, um, you know, you're just being gaslit, and there's, there's not an actual coup, and, right. uh, um, and he, he writes, um, he writes actually a book after he's kind of deposed in 1970s. The book I think came out in '72, maybe, and it's called My War with the CIA, and he goes through, you know, 30 years of his kind of rule in Cambodia and, you know, a lot of the stuff that he says in the book can be corroborated with other sources. Um, it's not to say that he's not exaggerating certain points or, um, which is also the same, the same years that, uh, you know, the CIA is behind this, the sort of subversionist foreign policy debacle in, right. in Indonesia. There, there's, there's a real, um, uh, Reckless kind of um, well, let's just tip all of these um, these guys who are neutralist or who um, aren't explicitly on the side of the United States or who want to play both sides of the Cold War fence. And uh, like you know, n- now we know that Sihanouk just wasn't <laughs> crying wolf. Correct, and um, yeah, I think and for a long time, I think the kind of warnings of the State Department: you're just going to drive them closer to China. Um, we're we're accurate because 
for a, a long time, he was definitely moving in that direction. Um, yeah, throughout throughout that period. So. So the 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 U.S. is is supporting the the Khmer Sarai movement and Son Tan, and this is exposed. Uh, uh, what happens to Son Tan? Well, not a lot, right? He's not not caught um, or anything, and he continues his, I guess, kind of dissident movement. Um, he's in he's in the jungles of Cambodia, right? He's on the border, uh, Thai border, and. He's kind of cementing his relationship with South Vietnam and Bangkok. And so um, Sinuk, the neutralist, is not well-liked by his neighbors, um, and they want him overthrown. Uh, South Vietnam, um, Ngo Dinh Nhu, who is uh, Ngo Dinh Diem's brother, Diem being the kind of head, of head of state in South Vietnam, uh, has Sun Yuk Tan on kind of retainer at all times in case we need him. Uh, you know, for an overthrow <laughs> attempt. Um, you never know. It's a good to have a... Right. And, th- I mean, these kind of things are kind of going on. You know, this discussion, these plots are kind of continuing. There's, a, you know, a suitcase bomb attempt on Scenic's life, which almost gets him um, in 1959, later in 59. Um, and South Vietnam is involved with that. Uh, this, this continues and is something that can throughout the next decade, basically, is this kind of relationship. So, so Khmer Sarai is, it gets a little bit messy, especially as the United States kind of comes in more and more um, over time. But they are kind of recruiting Khmer Kraum, you know, uh, ethnic Khmer that are living in South Vietnam, former coach in China, and they're training them in, in South Vietnam and in Thailand. Um for, you know, potential attack, potential attempted overthrow. And once the United States gets more involved, they pick up kind of a lot of this training aspect. They find that these guys know a lot about uh, the area. Um, the Khmer Krom. The Khmer Krom, right? If they want to do some special ops across the border, right, um, which is, right, I guess in theory – not happening, but in reality, it is. Well, and and of course, the maybe others might not know is that um, you know there's a um, there's a slippery ethnicity that can happen. Was where the the Vietnam had been um, kind of a, a long time uh, foe of of Cambodia traditionally, um, and in Thailand, either side, you know, Cambodia being kind of the the. Stuck in the middle, the the, the the Krom can can move much more seamlessly between Vietnam and Cambodia. Well, that kind of position you just described, kind of being kind of stuck in this pincer here between Thailand and Vietnam, it's one of the reasons Cambodia, you know, in some ways, kind of welcomes French in initially. Um, you know, I guess hundred years before the time we're talking about now, but right protectorate. I mean, it's a French protectorate in Cambodia. Right. It's not a colony, um, but literally, I mean, they're getting swallowed up. I mean, losing land, um, and a lot of those, that land is still in dispute even now, you know, previa here, uh, a lot of yeah. these border areas um, with Thailand um, are still disputed, but um, 
okay, so to bring back to the kind of the 60s, yeah, in the U.S. involvement, special ops training missions. Um, so they're training and working with these they're guys. Getting re- they're getting ready for when we need you, send you in. Well, they're using them for their own purposes with respect to the Vietnam War. Um, so they are kind of part of that effort. Um, but at the same time, the, you know, you have you have these different groups. You have Khmer Kraum, you have Khmer Kampuchi Kraum, and you have Khmer Sarai. And these are all, these are three different groups. It gets a little confusing. Um, but there are three different groups that are in some ways very similar, and in, they all have different missions, though. Khmer Sarai's goal is the overthrow of Sinuk. Khmer Kampuchi Kraum are kind of, their goal is kind of working with the U.S. and the U.S. government, and there is a lot of overlap in these groups, and Sunyok Tan is working with the United States government at this time, and so this this is the relationship, right? The, the United States is even, you know, helping fly uh, guys to Thailand for him, uh, Khmer Sarai, to kind of, you know, be on the other border um, in, case, in case they're needed, uh, or in case you know, for this whatever potential right. overthrow. Now, that being said, you know, I'm talking about all these, you know, recruitment of people and troops and potential overthrow, and they're, right, training everybody up. In terms of numbers, they're not large, okay? There there are, you know, 600 to 1,000 on the Thai border probably, and okay. maybe a little more than that on the South Vietnamese border. So they're not going to actually be successful, or will they? Uh, but... But are are they viewed as kind of more special forces type troops? That's how the U.S. is kind of viewing them. Yeah, um, and they are. Yeah, they're they're kind of. And there's there's some interesting uh, things um, that are that are written by you know kind of ex special ops guys uh, from Vietnam that kind of talk uh, a little bit about um, going on missions with them and uh, oh you know they're kind of these uh, characteristics and traits of them and describing what the Khmer Krom are like. Um, what you know, whatever that means. Um, but um, right, they are being used and trained by the United States for their role in the Vietnam War. Um, the any benefit that Sun Yuk Tan might see for his purposes is kind of uh, kind of a side issue. It's not at this point, you know, the U.S. military's. Uh, goal is to kind of help. It's not. It's not their goal at this point to help him f- stage a coup. So we've got some stumbling along. Obviously, the the elephant in the room is the escalation in Vietnam, which is intense, and in the last half of the '60s. Um, and so, catch us up in 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 Cambodia up to up to up to '70. What what what's going on? Uh, like later. Uh, as the war in Vietnam is getting more intense, uh, the bombing in is kind of crossing the border in Cambodia um, more intensely as well. And this is, of course, Sinuk is complaining quite loudly about a lot of this. Um, so this is this is again carpet bombing to to get uh, um, Ho Chi Minh Trail. Correct. Uh, Ho Chi Minh Trail, which kind of starts in North Vietnam and kind of cuts through. Uh, Laos and Cambodia on its way to South Vietnam. They're annoyed that he's pointing out the illegal bombing of a, cam- a war country they're not at war with. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so, 
they uh, this is escalating. Um, Cross border operations are kind of escalating as well. Um, you know, you have five hundred, six thousand, six hundred thousand troops by you know sixty eight uh, in there in Vietnam, and the war is escalating in Vietnam, and so just because of that fact, it's escalating yeah. in Cambodia as well. And so you have you have Sihanouk, who has because of kind of all these tensions with Vietnam. Uh, South South Vietnam, Thailand, and the United States had been for a long period kind of, you know, shifting his neutralism, maybe favoring China. Um, this, I would I would say, diminishes a bit toward the end of his reign. Um, and, the, and this is kind of just being him, once again, as kind of the pragmatist, um, which I think, you know, he was with some degree, kind of throughout his career. Um, he, you know, skilled politician, right? I mean, and a skilled yeah. kind of global uh, diplomat, um, able to, the best he could, keep his country kind of out of the war that, you know, is going on in Laos at this time. You know, there's bombing in northern Vietnam at this time, and there's, like, literal ground war going on just right next door to him, uh, and occasionally over the border and... Um, in my dissertation, I talk some in some more depth about kind of some of these over-the-border operations that are happening, um, getting, you know, the United Nations involved with this and things like that. But, um, you know, he's, he, I would argue, you know, he does, he's, he's fairly skilled um, at doing kind of, I guess, in the situation he's put in um, the best he could in some ways. Um, yeah, it seems an impossible situation in some ways that he, that he manages to 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 navigate um, until it doesn't work. <laughs> right, until it doesn't work. And so I guess should we just jump to uh, yeah. when it definitely doesn't work would be um, would be 1970. And I guess 1970 in March, the coup to overthrow him, uh, well, which I guess technically isn't a coup, he's... Um, kind of voted out by the National Assembly. But uh, this all... Had, has the same effect of a coup. Right. And it, it, the, the planning for this starts more than a year ahead of time, ahead of that, probably January 69, you know, maybe a little before that. Um, and this is something I just talked about at uh, the Schaefer Conference, Society for Historic and Historians of American Foreign Relations, uh, this past June in San Diego. Um, so I talked about this in some depth there, and this is being a little more recent, 1970, um, than the Dop Chuan coup, which is, you know, 10 years before that. There are still some source issues with this coup. Now, so I, I, I don't have a smoking, smoking gun like I do with the Dop Chuan for U.S. involvement in this coup. Now, that being said, I I would I do argue that it is highly likely that there is American involvement, um, defense intelligence involvement, um, and Sun Yuk-tan is part of all of this. Uh, one of the kind of interesting parts is the use of Khmer Sarai 
in this operation. So Kamir Sarai, I've talked about how they've kind of been staged, stationed on the borders, both borders. And there is this, Cena has been calling, you know, if anyone kind of surrenders, you know, I won't, I won't kill you, I promise. Just surrender and uh, it'll be fine. And so some people do. And then, you know, he doesn't kill them. And they join the Cambodian armed forces because they're trained and they're skilled. And these are, I guess, one ar- one argument is that they're kind of this Trojan Trojan horse. Um, and, um, so they are kind of there now within now the military, the Cambodian military, these loyal Sunyuktan followers, Khmer Sarai. So it was all a uh, deep play um, to surrender, but yet be um, really playing a waiting game for... Correct. It is... um, Now, that is something that I think I don't... Something I don't uh, (laughs) actually know for sure. Uh, And this is something that some others, I think David Chandler has kind of discussed this and um, others... Um, so there is there is some some evidence that this this happened. I, well, well, you know for sure the defections happened. Um, now whether right we we don't know how heartfelt the right. the, the surrender was initially. Right, so. right. And I think there there's there's quite a bit of good evidence that that supports the fact that they were kind of faux defections, and that they were still loyal to Sun Yuk Tan. So you have this is going on through 1969 and these. Uh, these defections. Uh, at the same time, you have Lon Nol, who's kind of the head of the military at the time uh, in Cambodia, Cambodian military. Um, Sinuk and him have had an interesting, could, could, could get on a long tangent about that, their relationship. But, um, right, he's in theory loyal to Sinuk, uh, but he also is not because he's planning this throughout 69. And uh, Sarik Matak, who uh, politician, Cambodian politician, is, uh, and he's all he's also Sinek's cousin. Somebody's going to destroy me if I got that wrong. Uh, does that sound right? It feels right. Okay, okay. Uh, he he is plotting with Lon Nol and uh, to overthrow Sinek, and so this is going on through '69. Now Lon Nol is a little hesitant to uh, assassinate. He he feels that may, may, there might be kind of a groundswell of uh, opposition against him if they do that. Sinuk is you know kind of throughout the '60s is pretty popular. Yeah. Um, you know that that is waning a little bit. Um, you know, in '68, '69, um, maybe not not quite as popular as he had been at his at the height, but um, but still he's like the father of Cambodia for many, right. Yeah. Right. And. Uh, yeah, and he's the one that actually did get independence. So I mean, like he's very much uh, a loved figure, and um, you know, we just had the in Thailand, right, the passing of uh, King, right? Yes, just uh, two two days ago, and I was actually uh, in Cambodia when Sihanouk died a few years ago, and you know, the country shut down. I mean, he was still a loved figure even then. And you know, there, a lot happened after uh, between you know 1970 and you know 2012. Right. <laughs> but uh, 
um, still, right, kind of as a figure and kind of, yeah, it, it's almost like a kind of a sense of identity and kind of... Yeah, he's the one. Um, he's the one person that represents Cambodia, right? You know, right. Um, and so that all existed in yeah in the sixties. And so, so there. Yeah, uh, to get back to the plotting, there's plotting against uh, Sihanouk, and there is quite a bit of good evidence that the United States was aware. Let me say this: the United States was aware. Of the plotting scoop, uh, uh, crossroads. The United States was was aware. I don't even think that's a scoop. I think uh, <laughs> I think that has been stated elsewhere. Uh, and I'm not I'm not arguing anything that hasn't been argued by some other people, Ben Kiernan, Chandler, others. Um, my I think all I've attempted to do with the, in this case is add add to kind of the existing uh, literature, the existing uh, historiography. Right, especially flesh out this this this, this mythic character. You know? Right. Um, well, yeah, in terms of the coup, I mean, I don't have new smoking gun, as I said, evidence of anything really. Well, it seemed like maybe the evidence would be, though, that the, the after effect, I mean, the, the, the way the which the United States um, is so heavily invested in in Lanol and and that regime... After seventy, yeah. the, the, the 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 in in some ways it's almost it doesn't matter if they were or not it they would they they the way they bankrolled um, Cambodia um, from seventy on. Well, and it's also clear uh, that and it's it was been stated by Sunyuk Tan Sunyuk Tan himself. Um, this is something that uh, I think was new that I that I have some interviews with him. That he taken post nineteen seventy, where he says yes, the United States was involved in the coup. Um, so he, he would know, right? He would know. Um, and at a minimum, at a minimum, I would say that they thought the United States supported the coup, and so this would be right. Dop Chuan, uh, Sarik Matak, and Sun. Which is which is a huge. Did I say Dop Chuan? Lan Nol, Sarik Matak, and. Which is which is a major kind of um, there's this there's this wink and a nod that happens mm-hmm. globally with um, often what right wing military figures where look if you if you do decide to overthrow your regime rest assured that not only we will not bat an eye but we will support the um, the U S leaning um, U S compliant. Uh, leader that 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 is inst- instituted in his place, so right. um, you know you can say like, well, they weren't responsible for the overthrow. You know, like maybe a mm-hmm. classic example would be Indonesia, um, but the but the it has to loom large in the mind of very pragmatic military planners um, on all sides of of these Asian overthrows that they know that yep. that they have. Um, the the ascent essentially of right. I think it was uh, H. R. Haldeman who uh, in his, who I think in his is it his memoirs or his diary of uh, the time H. R. Haldeman who was uh, chief of staff Richard Nixon and said uh, coup was all right with us. Okay, so.
I think we're ready to uh, to break into. <coughs> now this looks uh, this, what I'm seeing looks interesting here. What what do we got? This is this, this is beer number three. This is a little bit cheating. This one. Beer number three. We got a green bottle. Do you want to reveal our uh, our beer three, Matt? So, as I said at the outset, this the selection in DeKalb is <laughs> leaves a little bit to be desired. So, beer number three is a little bit cheating. Although, we'll go into go, go it's, into it. The beer is uh, Carlsberg. Er du religiøs, for du har svaret på alle mine bønner. Okay. Carlsberg. Carlsberg. And uh, this one, I'm not sure where this, is it from Copenhagen? Um, right. So, right, that is not in Southeast Asia, This is as far as I know. I might, I might add, Matt, this is by appointment to the Royal Danish Court, as it says on the label here. So, it's kind of a big deal. So. Oh, okay. So so why Carlsberg? Someone may be wondering right now. Yeah, why why do you have a Do you have your opener? Let's get the sound oh, yeah. of this. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, go ahead and okay, let's see. crack so, and then I'll explain. So uh, you can fast you can rewind to one and two and, and this is three for my comparison. Wow. That's a little pop on Yeah. Three. I heard a little bubbly thing too. So why Carlsberg, you may be wondering. Yes, and why this uh, Scandinavian beer? Other than just desperation and necessity of trying to find a third. Uh, the reason is Carlsberg's fairly big in Southeast Asia. Um, there's a brewery in Vietnam. There's one in uh, Malaysia. And you can find Carlsberg um, kind of in a lot of places. Uh, it, it and Tiger are the ubiquitous mm-hmm. I would say so. Beers. I, I, I would say I, I see more Carlsberg and more Tiger in more countries than any other beer. It's, uh, I was trying to come up with a, a parallel thinking you might have to resort to Carlsberg and Carlsberg seems to be the, the Heineken of, uh, of Southeast Asian beer. It's, it's the, it's the foreign import that's slightly better perceived. Than I, I believe <laughs> Heineken just bought the uh, brewery in Vietnam, uh-huh. the Carlsberg brewery. Really? Wow. Well, I don't know for sure, but I think that's true. Am I a fortune teller? Yeah, maybe. So, uh, so, so what? What do you? What do we taste with Carlsberg here? We got. It's uh, it's more in the tiger camp, of uh, uh, of a lighter um, lager. It tastes a little Heineken-y. not quite as skunky, yeah. but. Um, how dare you? How dare you slander the Dutch? I don't even think that's a. Uh, I like skunky beer, so I don't. I don't. <laughs> They're proud of their. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's an insult. Uh, yeah, it's it's a, uh, it's it's pleasant. You could you could yeah. you could drink a few of these. Right. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. Now, if I'm if I'm, you know, have my wish list of. Um, Beers I could have gotten, and um, so right. So this may be preview of coming episodes, right? Maybe we'll do uh, part two. Mm. Um, so if you could have your dream, your dream team of of your your next three. Well, I, I'm a little biased, so I think Encore in Cambodia would be up there. Best beer in Asia, maybe. It is. It is quite 
well, I, good might not be the right word, but it is, we'll just use good. It's quite good. Uh, yeah. You know, and then we were saying, you know, that this is not a wheat culture, um, and they managed to produce a pretty amazing beer, considering. Yeah, and I'll also add on to that, uh, there's a, a relatively new uh, microbrew in Cambodia that opened up a little bit before I was doing research there in my Fulbright called Kingdom, and it's all started by a couple of German guys, I believe. Huh. So they are... Like an ale? Uh, well, they have different different ones, you know. Yeah. Pilsner, lager. Did you get a sense of what the locals think of the uh, of this microbeer? Microbrew? I don't know if I saw any many locals drinking it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I was drinking it. <laughs> and it, it was pretty good. Um so, uh, yeah, that, um, you know, Thailand has uh, Singa, Singa, of course, uh, Chong, um, Beer Lao yeah. is uh, the Laotian uh, specialty. So those, those might be other, other three in your... Well, uh, you can't find a lot of those here. Right. Uh, I think if you went to a more populated area than DeKalb, you could probably find Singha and... Um, uh, maybe Beer Lao. I think 33, which is from Saigon. I've seen that. Uh, I think if you're in Chicago or something um, and you go to kind of a giant beer warehouse, you'll have you'll have pretty right. good luck. I think you could probably find a lot of it. Um, Encore I've never seen in the States, though. Which I was thought is a travesty because it's, it's the best. Right, but it's Cambodia, so, you know. Right. Probably not a big seller, I'm thinking. That's where this podcast comes in. Right. Promoting. Go Encore. to your distributors, tell them you want uh, Encore beer. Right. Um, yeah, both of you. So, <laughs> hey, there are tens of listeners now. Okay. So, so we, 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 we think in, there's a, the US, there's U.S. involvement. That's a, that's a, that's a fair thing to say in mm-hmm. the events in, in Cambodia. So, right. What's, and they were, what's So Nux Tan's fate after 70? So post-70, he's um comes and joins the government. Yeah, he's surprise, he, surprise. He's won. Yeah. So he becomes kind of an advisor to uh Lon Knoll, who kind of takes over uh leadership following Sinuk, and he continues his recruitment of troops in South Vietnam. And these guys are, you know, starting it's at this point you also have kind of the civil war in Cambodia, okay, with the Khmer Rouge going on. And so who's going to the front line to fight in this fight? Well, it is the best trained, the experts. Those are the Khmer Sarai. So these guys yeah. are, and the, you know, the Khmer Krom, the guys that were, that have been with... We have years in the field. Right. So these are the experts, and they're getting uh, sent to the front lines, doing all the heavy lifting, and, you know, getting slaughtered, Paying a high basically. Toll, yeah. Um uh, so Sun Yuk Tan continues to recruit. Um, he and he in 1972 comes prime minister again. Round of applause. So he, yes. he, uh, right, he is prime minister for the second time. And sim- similarly to his first, a mere 30, wait, how many? It's been, it's been a while. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Since 1945 and, and 72. So, yeah. Um, 20 plus years. Yeah. Yeah. So he is prime minister again and, like his first run at prime minister, it's not super long. Uh, lasts till October of seventy two. Yeah, revolutionaries do not always make the best uh, 
Yeah, but uh, and I, I should also add, he's all um, the prime minister role at this point is um, holds less power. It's in some ways figurehead um, person. He was kind of sure, a compromise military leaders. Or, yeah, he was kind yeah. of a compromise candidate because of his uh, a lot of the support he had with kind of the young groups, student groups, and uh, Buddhists, monks, um, things like that. So that. He's kind of this compromise candidate. And so, you know, October he leaves and goes back to South Vietnam. And this is where you lose a little bit of track of him. Okay. So at this point, you know, he's what, pushing 70 years old? Yeah. Um, he, yeah, 65. He's uh, continuing to recruit. I know that for sure. He's continuing to recruit Khmer Sarai and uh, in in Vietnam, in Vietnam, in South Vietnam. He, you know, he's going to, back to, to go back in, into Cambodia. To go back yeah. to Cambodia, he's gone back basically to his home. Right, Tra Vinh mm-hmm. is uh, the province where he's from, where he's born, and kind of where he goes back uh, after he leaves government. Uh, he continues to recruit, send troops back, uh, etc. In so, in some ways, he's sort of this liaison with. Uh, you know, the government's, um, his brother, Sun Tai Nguyen, is a senator in the uh, South Vietnamese government. So he's serving in government there. But we lose track of him, kind of, he's not in a lot of documents after this point. And we don't even know for sure what happens to him, but is he still out there? No. Okay. He he dies. He he, he we we know he's he's taken and captured uh, after uh, April thirtieth, nineteen seventy five, and the communist victory in Vietnam. And so at some point after that, he is he's captured and sent to prison. And it is there that he dies most most likely. That's what the case is, and that would be. Um, 78 1978 okay um you know how why not exactly clear uh but, but he's 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 in his 70s uh right you know these, yeah, are, 70, these are these are hard times 70 years old for anyone yeah. even young men yeah right so yeah that is uh that's the story of Sun Yuk Tan do you have a uh, movie rights you know i i've actually thought that that wouldn't be. It's kind of. He's kind of. An he, he has a right. He does have an interesting life, and I think it. I think it could be a cool movie. Um, I'm sure, we could, maybe Matt Damon could play uh, Senor Tan. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Because because uh, yeah, it makes sense. Right. Um, yeah, the, the the Hollywood has done a great job of of um, correctly depicting. Um, Asia and Southeast Asia in its uh, its films. So um, right. why would we think they would they would make a mistake <laughs> in something as sensitive as something? Hey, it's sad to say they've come a long way actually. So they're not having like Puerto. It's not Rican. a breakfast is Tiffany's situation. Yeah, they're not yeah. having like Puerto Ricans play uh, you know <laughs> Filipinos or something. So yeah. it could be it could be worse. Right, right. Well, uh, well, Matt, uh, thanks for joining us. Oh, that's it. This has been this it's has over been already? wonderful. We uh, this is not over. We have to we have to continue our uh, um, our our next tour of duty. Um, so stay tuned, listeners, and 
next episode of uh, Southeast Asia Crossroads. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Southeast Asia Crossroads would like to thank Michael McSweeney for production assistance and NIU's own Cameron Foreman for today's music. You can find info about his new album on Facebook at Cameron Foreman Music.